So, welcome to another episode of the Big Fat Sports Podcast, a very special edition this week. Me and James are here again. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. you? Yeah, not bad, mate. And joining us via Zoom is former Oldham Athletic goalkeeper, Les Pogliacone. How are you, Les? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I know we've been speaking about it a little bit, but um, what's life like in Australia at the minute then? I think you're based in Adelaide, aren't you? What's life out there like in this new COVID world? Uh, pretty lucky, really. In South Australia, we've um, we've sort of got on top of it. Um, I think we were one of the first states to shut our borders, even to other states within Australia. So when it all hit the fan with the boats, the, here most of our cases started with the... Um, the cruise ships coming back and they had a lot of COVID cases on there. And then, so we shut our borders and we were lucky. We've, we've got on top of it and life's been pretty normal probably since about May, our soccer season or football, as you call it, obviously I should call it. Um, our football season's got back to normal with the seniors and all the juniors have just finished their season. So we've been pretty fortunate. We're very lucky that, us South Australians, or I'm an honorary South Australian now, I'm originally from Sydney, um, we're pretty conservative. So if the government says, look, do this, do that, it'll be for your own good, we sort of tend to follow mm. what they tell us and it's worked. It's been yeah. good. So what are you up to these days? You said you're from Sydney, but now in Adelaide. So what's, what are you up to now you've retired from professional football? Um, I've joined, when I got back um, from the UK, I joined my father-in-law and mother-in-law's family business, which was like a a brick supplying company, Uh, a a reseller. I don't actually make bricks, but buy it off the major brickyards and sell them to smaller builders, um, owner builders. um, And yeah, they've retired now. So initially when I started, I was driving a a semi-trailer. They they helped, helped me buy a truck. Um, and we paid that off. And when I, it was paid off, I said, here you go, it's yours now. And I used to do the transport side of the business, but mm-hmm. they've retired now coming up to four years ago. So I'm a one-man band, essentially. I do all, all my selling, invoicing, quotations, estimations off plans, drive the truck, you name it. I've just swap hats pretty much all the time. So jump from football to really like hands-on sort of. Well, do you know what? Sport and football does gear you up for it because in football, there's pressure to perform. You've got responsibilities. You're in a, a team environment where you're working with people with different egos, different goals, different sort of, um, different stages in their journey and it's no different in the working world you know when you're working for yourself you're trying to build relationships yeah. uh you're trying to get yourself a reputation you know you you got to perform if you don't perform for your customers they go elsewhere so it's funny enough it's no different <laughs> um to 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 being in that sporting world and i think being in europe helped me a lot to to sort of uh how can you say thicken the skin and, and mature yeah. and, and get you sort of open to the realities of the world. Yeah. So are you doing are you doing any coaching or anything like that, like an amateur level or semi-pro or anything like that? Yeah, I coach pretty much seven days a week. I'm, I'm involved with football. Now that the juniors have stopped, I coach my son's under 10 team this year. Um, and that's uh, two training sessions a night and then Sunday mornings. And I coach... Um, a, well, it'd be a semi-pro, what you call semi-pro club. Um, we're actually defending champions here in South Australia for the last two years. Um, and we won the national uh, series as well. So each state has a champion and they play off to become national champions. We won that a couple of years back. Um, I was a goalkeeper coach, funnily enough, for the last two years, but our senior coach, um, Phil Stubbins, funnily enough, a York, Yorkie, yeah. um, he resigned two weeks ago. So myself and the assistant, who's an ex-A-League pro and, and that, um, we've taken over as joint senior coaches. So, um, yeah, we've got 
five games of the regular season. And as you know here, I don't know if you know, in Australia, we love what's called playoffs to become champions. So it's like a knockout series at the end of the season. You've got first past the post that is what they call like a minor premiership. And then to be champions, you've got to win the playoffs. So, um, yeah, so five games and then hopefully the playoffs were sitting in second spot, two points off. So, oh, definitely. Yeah, Cam, it's called Campbelltown City. It's the club I essentially, when I retired professionally, I came back to Adelaide and, and played for them in semi-pro capacity yeah. um, for five years before I retired fully. So it's a family club. My father-in-law is a founding member. Right. Uh, my wife's uncles are all founding members. So it was the only club I was going to be involved with. And I, I can literally walk to it from my house. So, <laughs> And all my nephews are playing there. My wife's cousins, kids, they're all there, all their coaching. So it's a, it's a real family environment. It's really good. Really good. Is it when you're talking about the playoffs, is that kind of a little bit like Super League Rugby League where the top six? Correct. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. So you've, you've, got, you've got to get into the top six. Obviously, if you're in the top two, you get a bit of an advantage. You might get a second chance. Yeah. Um, I think usually the top two play each other off in a home and away series. The winner goes straight into the grand final. And then when, if the loser plays, the winner of... Uh, of third to sixth so yeah it's it's interesting it, look it's it's just the australian way for me first past the posts should be champions because you know you've got to earn it over a, a whole um a whole season and a whole lot of matches and you've got to be consistent but that's how it's done here and just got to accept it but fortunately enough the last two years we've finished first past the post and then we've won the championship so it's been all right do you want a trophy for being first past the post then or not? Uh, what you do here, but obviously because of COVID, that's out sort of dead and buried. You, If you finish first past the post, then you, you gain entry into that national playoff series to be crowned national champion. And then if you become national champion, you get a ticket into uh, our, it's like the FA Cup, but the Australian version, they call it the FFA Cup here. And you get to play against A-League teams and, and whatnot. So, yeah, we were involved last year and we played Melbourne City, who were in the grand final of the A-League this year. So, yeah, it's there's path, you know, there's rewards for doing well. Mm. Um, but the problem is in Australia, we need a second tier. We need promotion and relegation. It, it's the bottom teams just plot along knowing that they're going to be there forever as long as they've got a licence in the A-League. Right. So is, you know, they say, oh, we're here for... Is there no, that, sorry? no change in the teams at all? I mean, I no, no, there's no... And it's a, a real big discussion point within Australia. We, unfortunately, football's become very stagnant in Australia. We've, we've sort of lost our way. The A-League, they, you know, came along and everyone said it was going to be the answer, you know, having a professional league full-time, mm. where before it was real semi-pro kind of stuff. But unfortunately, um, we've gone from wanting to follow... Uh, first, it was, I think, a, a German system and then it was the Dutch system and then the Spanish system. But Australians are Australians and we've got our own character and, you know, culture. And, you know, Spanish football is geared their culture which is flair and individuality and you know where that golden generation yes we had some good players but they had mental strength and character and I think it's a big problem with Australian sport in general that you're seeing our national teams are getting weaker and weaker at all levels of sport because we're losing that cultural character of mental strength resilience that I think Aussies used to have you yeah. know and you see it in the generations coming through that, you know, the, all the focus is on just the skill aspect of the game. And we're forgetting that there is a mental, uh, you know, mentality to football and, and, um, and, and that mental focus and strength to, to win football games, not just the skill aspect. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting stuff. We have these discussions all the time with all the coaches constantly yeah. about the way yeah. forward with, with football in Australia. But you think it's, do it, you know, implement it at grassroots level and then 
over time. Well, we've. I think that's the problem. We thought the A-League was the solution, but there's been no investment at grassroots level. And the problem we have in Australia as well, that our probably our best generation of footballers were coached by migrants that had just arrived from Europe yeah. and knew the game very well, where now all the coaches that coach our kids, soccer is just a pastime for their kids to stay you know, being a team sport, but they actually support AFL or cricket or right. or rugby league. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's not a real football culture anymore that we've lost um, that sort of background knowledge of of football that these migrants had. Yeah, uh, and they're all old and retired, and and their kids now don't really follow football like they used to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's been a bit of a shift, and it's tough. It, it's, you know, I think what happens is we think, oh, we'll we'll go in a certain direction, and by the time we get there, you know, the rest of the world's moved on, and they're on to the next thing. So we're always sort of trying to play catch up here. I think that's the, the big problem. It's quite strange that because when you think about Australian sport, like you were saying, rugby league cricket, AFL, because I've been to an AFL game and I've been over a few times. It always seemed to be, like when I was growing up, um, the Ashley yours used to batter us until 2005. So it's quite strange to hear you say that you're behind the time. Yeah, yeah we're changing. Unfortunately, our culture is, is changing here in Australia and it's not the same. Like even at AFL level, obviously South Australia is, uh, and, and here in Adelaide, uh, is a real AFL sort of, uh, city and you speak to a lot of AFL supporters and they say oh the game's changed it's got softer there's too many rule changes there's interchange it's all about the welfare of the players and this and that and the other and so they that they dislike the shift that's happening even within their game that it's becoming softer and not as physical and not as tough and yeah I think it's just massive cultural shift within the whole of the country not just you know to football itself we're making the younger generation softer entitled that's the problem they've got too much choice that's not just Everything's, that's... <laughs> i think it's the whole world everyone's you know no one's happy because they don't have enough you know what i mean there's no um gratitude and gratefulness out there anymore people yeah. just always dissatisfied because I just want more. I think that's the game. Definitely football. Everywhere in the world now. Um, you know, back when you were playing, it, it was that was proper football. Uh, and I say that every, every week on our podcast. And, you know, when we were growing up as kids, that, that is the football that I fell in love with. And it's, just, it's nothing like it anymore. There's no, is it is the same problem there. There's no passion, no desire, no drive from the players that you can see that, that they're lacking that will to win. That's what we see here with a lot of a lot of the younger kids coming through. Every now and then you see it's funny enough, there's a kid that'll come through and it won't be just his physical ability that or you know, his technical ability that catches your eye, but his attitude is what catches your eye because yeah. Compared to the rest, um, yeah, it's it's just not there. The design's not there anymore, yeah. unfortunately. So, I think what all the Oldham fans that will be listening will want to know is, move to Oldham when you first came, the first spell. How did that come about, that move? Um, oh, it's a real long story. I'll try and keep it as short as possible. I initially trialled with... Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, okay. um, I'd, I'd basically, well, actually, I'd trialed with Crystal Palace, then Wolverhampton Wanderers. Someone had spotted me in a grand final, and it's they call it the most, the most, I don't know, famous and best grand final ever to be played. And this was oh, before A League. What's that? Sorry. Wollongong beat Perth. Yeah, that's the one. That's the my, one. My team, Perth. My <laughs> Is it? Well, I was goalkeeper for Wollongong in that grand final. So, um, and I, I we, it, we were three nil down at half time. Came back to three all. Could have been eight all the game. It was just end to end stuff. Yeah. 
and it went to a penalty shootout and Perth had essentially had two sudden death penalties. Just they had to score and they win, they win the, the league. And I'd saved both sudden death penalties right. and then saved a third to win the title. So for me, it was a dream game. Um, couldn't have been scripted better for a goalkeeper. And someone, an agent, uh, I'm trying to, Frank Trimboli, I think his name was, watched that game. It was the first time I'd been um, telecast live in the UK and he stayed up and watched it. And he thought, I think I can get this keeper over. So he got in touch somehow. Um, my agent was Bernie Mandich, who used to be Harry Kuehl's and Baduka's agent at Leeds. They worked out a deal. I flew over. Child of Palace didn't work out. Then literally, I, that gave me the taste. I said, I want to be part of English football. I had that trial. It wasn't successful. I want to get back over. I was desperate. So literally a year and a half later, I had a really good season. A teammate of mine had an agent that was based in California, but English guy. And he was working with an English agent as well. Said, look, I think I can get you over. I went mid-season. I flew over to Wolverhampton, had a really good trial. Dave Jones said, look, if we get promoted to the Premier League, I want to sign you as a third choice. The clubs had organised the transfer fee. Everything was done. And Wolves got pipped by West Brom right at the death. They were like, Wolves were drawing. West Brom kept winning 1-0, 1-0. Sean Gregan and um, what's the striker that when he... Got out of jail, he came. Lee Hughes. Oh, yeah, Lee Hughes. Uh, they were part of that team that got promoted. So that that was sort of put on ice. Yeah. And the agent rang and said, look, Alderman are looking for a goalkeeper. They're going to train past the end of the season, a week past the end. Fly over, get your ass over to the UK. So literally the next day flew over, got on a plane, flew over, trained with Oldham for two weeks. Yeah. impressed enough that they said, look, we want to offer you a pre-contract agreement because my contract was finishing in July. I said yes, flew back six weeks later. I was back in Oldham, packed all my stuff in a container and I was uh, an Oldham player pre-season. It was unbelievable. Look, the, that feeling of finally signing with someone and coming over for pre-season, I was just excited, nervous, yeah, just it was amazing, amazing, and that year was just amazing. That first season, and we, we were doing we were doing well as well. At, at yeah, we we had a brilliant side. If we if I hadn't got injured, if I hadn't got injured by Adrian Littlejohn against Port Vale, where he damaged my sciatic nerve, we would have got promoted automatically. And the history of Oldham could be completely different. I firmly believe that that was the best. That was the best form of my life. I'd, that was the year that I kept 19 clean sheets. But I'd only done it in... I'd been suspended for three. I got red carded the first time in my life. And then I was injured for those six last games. So that's minus nine, 46. Yeah. I'd only played 37 games, 19 clean sheets. I was on fire. I was flying. And the team was doing well when I, when I was in... And when I got injured... Things did change. We dropped a few points, and we were in the automatic places when I got injured. Was it was uh, that under Ian Dowie then that season? Under, under Ian, yeah, that was Ian's first year at Oldham. It was obviously that was, that was, look at the players that went on to like Clint Hill just retired what a few years ago. Um, Johnson, it's Hall, Chris Chris Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, we're talking players that went on and kicked on after. You know, Josh Lowe. That was the most uh, exciting team I can ever remember at Oldham. That. That, that's we, were, we were unbeaten away from home until the end of March, I think it was. We lost at Bristol 2-1 away. Yeah. It was an unbelievable team. That unbelievable. Was... Even the old pros like John Sheridan and Lee Duxbury and oh, David Ayers was on fire. He was playing on one leg, wasn't he, Shez? Oh, he was a, what a freak. What an absolute legend man yeah. he, that guy was just unbelievable yeah really unbelievable you, you went to Blackpool for a season what was it like there on the seaside it was a bit different to the beaches back home in Australia that was a disaster it was a nightmare my biggest regret actually of my career two regrets not taking the chance to go to Crystal Palace when they were in the champ 
in the championship and following Ian. I should have done it. I should have taken the gamble, even though uh, Tony Popovich, who's now, you know, been coaching here in Australia and even was assistant to Dougie, uh, to Freeman. Uh, is it Dougie Freeman? Yeah. The striker there at Palace at one stage. He was playing there and he said, Les, look, I'm owned £100,000 in bonuses. Um, you know, Simon Jordan, we're getting paid late. Our weekly wages are coming in late. He said, it's a great move for you, but you might not even get your money. You know what I mean? You might not even get paid week to week. Yeah. So, and they were in the relegation spots and, and all. So I was like, should I go? Should I not? And really, I, I, I loved Manchester. I loved Oldham. It was, it was, I was torn, you know what I mean? It was the right move at the wrong time. Yeah. Plus, I had, I had that agent who was finishing up with literally a, a couple of months' time and he had nothing to do with the deal. And he's like, no, you've got to pay me 5% of, uh, of your wages for the three years because they're offering me a three-year deal. You know, that's after tax. Yeah. And he hadn't even done anything for the deal. It's just, it, it was, a, like I said, the right move at the wrong time. Yeah, and then the biggest regret was leaving Oldham. I should have just stuck it out um, instead of going to Blackpool. Blackpool ended up being a disaster. I was stuck. I, I was playing under Colin Hendry. Then he got the sack. Simon Grayson came in, and then he changed things up. I wasn't particularly playing well, but then uh, I think it was Lee Jones was in goals, and he got Player of the Year. So I was just stuck there. I couldn't yeah. budge him from the spot, and he wouldn't let me go out on loan to play. So it was just a, it was a disaster driving an hour and 15 to Blackpool. And so you were still living in Manchester? And, and I still stayed in Manchester. And even like their training facilities, the, the sheds that they were getting changed in were the same sheds that probably, was it Bobby Charlton was there or who, who was their legendary <laughs> player? It was the same ones, the mould in the showers. Like I've never seen mould like it. It was probably 60 years old. Mm. Never been cleaned ever. It was it was poor. It was the original training grounds from like the forties and fifties. Yeah. Oh my god! Not, so not a very nice, not a great club at that time. Anyway, how did it come about though that move? Because I remember being absolutely gutted when you. Uh, well, pretty much. Um, who was it? The manager that uh, Ronnie Moore came in and just didn't rate me one bit. Didn't, uh, and I I just yeah, didn't respond well to him. He, Killed my confidence in pre-season. Well, um, you only have to look at the, the reception he had from the fans. You know, he, he didn't get the fans on side from day one, did he? No, he was old school. He was well out of out of date at that time, I thought. But the players reckon they played probably double, the, well, double even more. Probably they played an extra, I don't know, 100 games that season because... Every training session, they finished with a full full pitch game. You know, yeah. um, it, no, it was he was very old school, and I just he didn't rate me. So I, I thought, well, I'm not going to play. He brought in Chris Day, and yeah. basically said, look, it's better that you you move on. And I wanted to play at the end of the day. So yeah. Colin Hendry came in, and he was a nice chap, nice guy, and yeah. That's why I decided to go, but I probably shouldn't have. Should have stuck it out. It was only one season, wasn't it? And then you. That's right. And then Shez Shez got the job and brought me back. Yeah. What What was he like to play under Shez? No different as a player. Screamed a lot at you. No, he just demanded high standards. The guy had played, you know, at the highest level of highest levels. So, you know, he was a frustrated player, and I. I understood him because, you know, he he, kept, he was just passionate and, yeah, I didn't mind. I, I love Shez. He was just yes. so, such a great guy. You know, he, he could berate you and, and, you know, get annoyed that you, you hadn't, you know, that you'd made mistakes. But then the minute you walked off the pitch or you, we had, a, you had a beer with him and, and things, you know, what happened on the football pitch stayed on the football pitch. Yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, he, got, he always seems just honest. Just, you know what? Yeah, it's hard but fair, you know? No, he just, he was brilliant. I, I really loved Shez yeah. as, a, as, a, as a manager and as a, as a person.
Yeah. Talk about him being a nice guy, James. Was it him when we went to, because um, I'm a United fan, but I went to Liverpool away with Oldham in the FA Cup. He was a manager, was it him that come out with the coffees in the morning when we were queuing up in the stand for the tickets? That was Paul Dickoff. Oh, was fair Paul enough. Dickoff. <laughs> I thought it was you with him. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, look, Ian Gowie was a gentleman as well. He was one of the best managers I ever played under. Yeah. He was just... Well, he, he, he'd berate players and, and expect high standards, but he did it within the four walls of the dressing room. And, and to the media, he protected everyone, never, never bagged any of the players, never um, pointed players out. He, he was just, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed my time under Ian. I mean, oh, I think recently, I say recently, maybe five five, six seasons ago, we, I think he was he was really close to coming back to Oldham um, because he's he's been out of management now for a while, hasn't he? For a while now, yeah. yeah. He fell at Hull, I think, and didn't really work out. He's a pundit on Sky Sports, um, isn't he? Yeah, he's a pundit now, but it was, apparently he was really close to coming back and it just coming didn't, back, yeah. didn't, didn't come happen. Through. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him back in management. I'd, well, the thing is, I think to have success, especially with a club that's trying to fight its way back, you need a manager that that creates a culture again. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. creates um, an environment for success. Yeah. Whether yeah. they've got young players, old players, they come, they buy into it, and they go on a journey together through the, the divisions, if you know what I mean. If you look at all those clubs that have made it, you know, small clubs that have, have made it, all the way to, to the Premier League and, and made it, or at least the championship. They've had a manager that, that's created a culture there and, and people bought into it and yeah. um, and sort of, yeah, it's, it's not that they've bought success or anything like that. They've started from the ground up, put a foundation down and then gone forward that way. You mentioned Bournemouth, didn't you? And you look at them, Eddie, Eddie Howe's been there, or was there, you know, Right, right from the bottom, right to the top, and he he did exactly. it like that, didn't he? He created that culture. Correct, and I think you need that. That's yeah. the only way out of it. It's not. It's. I don't necessarily think throwing money at it is is a way forward. No. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it's in a bottomless. In today's, you probably need you do need a little bit, don't you? But I think the the most important thing is. That is that culture and and having a like a close group of lads that are going to yeah. fight for each other and 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 do it together, go up through the leagues together, and then just add that little sprinkling of of class, of class and quality here and there, you know. Just but, to... I mean, you you look at clubs that have that have gone up, been promoted to the Premier League, like Fulham a few years back when they spent hundred million. million. You can't just. Just go and throw all that money at it and it just work just like that. No, that's right. It's, well, who's got that money these days now, you know? <laughs> Definitely not older. <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, look, it's a business now and, and obviously people are going to invest somewhere where they might think they're going to get a return, but... It's quite interesting. about John Sheridan as a player and a manager Um me and James have continued to watch, you know, watching them documentaries like All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur, and it's it's interesting to get an insight into a dressing room and a manager and Dave in the club. I'd love to have seen it, what it was like back in the day when Oldham was successful under Sheridan and under people like that. Yeah, I, I love that. Oh, look, it, it is... It, it, that. What happens in the dressing room is, is crucial, and you can see that a bit having an insight into what Mourinho does and, and all the rest of it in a dressing room would change people's opinion about him because it, it that is half the battle. Like now that I'm involved with, you know, with senior coaching, not just being a goalkeeper coach, you are managing egos. You are, you know, trying to, to motivate players. Trying, you're like a salesman trying to get them to buy into your philosophy and, and what you you feel is the team's strengths and to, you know, go on that journey with you. Um, you, you just, it's not that easy. It's, you, you literally have to be a psychologist. 
to be a good football manager as well. You, it's not just the football side of things. Yeah, it's the, it's the player management that is the hardest thing to, to football yeah. management. Well, we were saying before James has got very very strong views on Mr. Lemsey and Oldham. So, from being an ex-player on the other side of the world, what are you, what's your thoughts, Les, about the situation at Oldham at the minute? Ah, oh, look, it's it's sad to to see that you know it the club almost being a bit on a sliding slope really um and i hear that you know a lot of you fans are, are disappointed with the direction you know the club owners have taken and the amount of players that have come and gone and managers that have come and gone it, it almost you know we talk about culture that almost seems to me like there is no culture there anymore with the club and it doesn't feel like the olden that of, of the past, you know, that I knew anyway. I, I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, it looks like, um, yeah, it's a, a bit of disarray. Hopefully, Harry, obviously, Harry being Harry Kill being an Australian and maybe having a bit of that Australian character can sort of create something there. He used to be given the chance to do it, doesn't he? That's the, that's yeah, the well. It looks like the owner likes to call the shots from what I gather and, and that's what's sort of put a lot of coaches' uh, noses out of joint, I would imagine. And, and it's hard. You, you can't have, you know, owners making decisions about football decisions about the team and, and whatnot and players. If you're going to sign a coach, you might as well sign him to let him make the calls and, and let him you know, die by his own sword rather than, you know, signing someone there, putting him there and then trying to make decisions over him, you know. Yeah. It's madness. But, are, you, yeah. just, are you, like, are you, do you know Harry? Well, oh, not really. I, you know, when I knew Harry, funnily enough, I knew him when he was a little whippersnapper. He right. was in year seven. I was at Westfield Sports Heights, the first ever sports high school in Australia. And I was the first older intake into Westfield Sports High. I went there at year 10. And when I got there, Harry was in year seven. And that was, he was part of the first sort of, uh, the New South Wales Institute of Sport had an academy team. And they used to, they sent a lot of them to, to Westfield Sports High. And he grew up not far from the school as well at Smithfield. Yeah. So I used to see him training in this academy and that. And people saying, oh, this Harry Kuehl is going to be a, good little play and obviously he was at the school yeah but that's the closest sort of I've ever known him so to speak when we're at school together really all those years back because you were called up for the senior team weren't you the Australian senior team uh never the senior I've been called up for the Ollie Roos once but I played with the Australian under 20 team right so I played with Mark Mark Viduka and the Australian under 20 team uh, in 95 sorry what was Mark Viduka like? To, to oh, freak. Oh, he's a, again, you just knew he was going to have a, a decent career, you know what I mean? You, in training, he used to do things that you go, wow, you know, he was just on a different level yeah. to everyone else. Is, is he doing anything? Uh, no, he lives in Croatia. He loves Croatia. He, funnily enough, he played for Australia, but he's, he's got very strong ties to Croatia. So I think he spends his time halfway between Melbourne and, and Croatia. I think he's, he has a cafe in Croatia. Look, right. he wouldn't have to work. He's, he'd just be cruising. He's <laughs> made plenty of dough for years. So, yeah, he was always quite a cruisy kind of guy anyway. He was just always loved his music, headphones on. Even before, you know, the big headphones and that that have all come out now, he was just a real sort of, I don't know, simple, easygoing kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too complex about him, you know. I loved like, he loved he loved football. He that's the one thing you could tell he actually loved football. I he, I've heard stories that he used to drive the. Um, he went to Australian Institute of Sport, um, and he used to drive the other residents mad because he used to just kick the ball against the wall inside his dorm room like all the time, just constantly bang, 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 up against the wall practising because he just loved the game and loved to, you know, improve and get better. Yeah. So that's the kind of person he was. Cool. You were saying there, Les, that obviously you went to 
this school when you were in year 10 in Sydney. Whereabouts yeah. are you from? Because I know James has been once, I've been about five times, it's probably my favourite city in the world, so whereabouts in Sydney are you from? Um, I'm, a, I'm a Westie, I, I was born at Parramatta Hospital, but grew up in Granville, so I'm sort of right in the geographical centre of, of Sydney, so yeah, um, not, not a very flash upbringing, I'll be honest, but I think again, you know, when you've got to earn stuff, you appreciate it, you appreciate it a lot more, so yeah, it was a, it was a, not a, I wouldn't call it a privileged upbringing. So, yeah, I used to catch my first club that I played senior football was Marconi. And they were in the old, it was called the National Soccer League before it became the A-League. And as a junior, I used to catch a bus. It was like a 10, 15-minute bus ride. Then catch a train from Granville Station to Fairfield Station, which was about 20 minutes. And then I'd catch a bus from Fairfield all the way out to Marconi, which was about an hour and 15, an hour and 20. That was in peak, Mm. peak sort of commuting traffic. No headphones, nothing, just literally standing there for an hour and 45 minutes to get to training. And then my old man would pick me up after work, after training. So when you do that kind of stuff, you really appreciate, you know, your football and you love it and you enjoy it and you appreciate things that you you get from it you know so it's different now i wouldn't even dream of letting my kid catch a train bus and you know it's a different well like you said it's a different world now the world's changed yeah yeah world's changed so just briefly moving back to your time at oldham when when you were staying in manchester did you share with other players or were you just doing your own thing no, we, we bought, my wife and I bought an apartment, which we still have, um, on Blackfriars. Right. Um, yeah, just it's on the other side of the bridge. So officially it's Salford, but yeah, you, it's walking distance from Deansgate there. So you just rent and it out? Yeah, yeah, now it's just rented out, yeah. Mm. Um, so we've kept it. Um, and I remember when I first moved, I actually, when I trialled, I connected really well with Michael Clegg. He'd just signed permanently from from united and he was a lovely lad lovely lad and yeah he lent me bean bags and whatever because we didn't have any furniture hadn't arrived from from australia yet we'd put furniture and stuff in like i said in a container so yeah i really bonded with him i really bonded with dave baharrell yeah uh, i still sort of keep in touch with him through social media and that he was a lovely guy he just signed from newcastle um, and he's, he, funnily enough, he has a business. He's renting office space that looks over out the, he looks out the window of the back of his office and it looks into the balcony of our bedroom where our apartment is yeah. at Blackfriars. It's a small world, seriously. So yeah, keep in touch with him. And, and like I said, um, Barry Chaitow's, um son, uh, David. So yeah, uh, we're good friends with them. We actually came back and, Last time we holidayed, we went with them, uh, stayed with them, and then we went to France uh, where Kirsty's parents had a, a place. So, yeah, we, I still have strong connections with, with, with Manchester and the players, some yeah. of the players from Oldham. Well, I mean, it would be, it'd be great to see, obviously, when things are back to normal, it would be great to see you in the stands just catching Oh, look, if I come back to, to the UK, I'll definitely be popping back in. Like I'd have to. I don't want to show my son. He was the last time we went. He was only, uh, I think he was only four, so he doesn't really remember it. Now he's ten, so it'd be good. It's a good time for him. He's starting to get into the Premier League and yeah. and all of that, so it'd be good to show him around and say, oh, you know, this is where I played and, yeah. and whatnot. So, Who's his Premier League team? He likes United, like myself. Um, look. But the way I see it is, if you follow City, you've got to be an actual mank. You know what I mean? You, you've got to be a Mancunian. Um, United's got more supporters outside of Manchester than what they do in Manchester, from what I've been told, you know. So I thought it's the natural team to follow. Plus, a lot of Australians love Liverpool. Yeah. From Craig, Craig Johnston days. What's that, Sorry. So you, you don't really want to follow that trend and be 
No, well, what happened was we had a night out in Liverpool and I had a few, a bit of a bad experience with a few scouts and I thought, you know what, this town's rubbish. It's full of shit people. <laughs> I, love, I love Mancunians. Uh, Mancunians hate uh, Scousers, so I thought, you know what, I've got to change to to a, a Manchester team. And yeah. I look, there's a lot of history there with United, and obviously, you know, they were so successful in the in the '90s and 2000s, so it was easy to sort of start supporting them. And yeah, my lad sort of followed in my footsteps. Yeah, that's it. Good. So, just in in terms of modern football now, then, what do you think of all this VAR? Because I don't know if you've seen any of the highlights from. Yeah, it's madness. It's just, I don't know. It, look, again, it's the way the world's going, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. I think I'm a bit of a purist and the, the rule changes, it's hard to keep up with now. They're just constantly changing the rules and moving the goalposts. Yeah. So that's especially the handball rule. I don't even understand. Yeah, that. yeah. Like back in the day, if it was intentional, yes. If it's unintentional, if you, you know, you, you're going to jump, you know, when you jump, you, you lift your, and I've, you know, that penalty favoured United, but when you go to jump, you use your arms to to elevate yourself. Do you know what I mean? So you're naturally going to bring it up. It, it, I don't know. I just, I think it is killing, killing the, the game, especially as a spectacle. I, I do understand that they're, they're trying to give the advantage to the attacker and get more goals and things like that, but, I think, the, the but it's doing it in the wrong way because I liked the old offside rule where you had to see daylight. Do you know what I mean? And so that favoured the attacking team. Now, you know, you've got two fingers in front of the the last defender, and it's offside. Yeah, you I know, mean, we we say it every every week podcast when when you you know when there's a game been on and and they're zooming in. And and putting the lines on the on the video and there's like not even a centimetre in it. And and if you have to look that closely to find an offside, it should never be an offside, should it? You like you Exactly, said, exactly. You need daylight. You think I think the, the old rule was perfect. If you can't see daylight, it's not it's not offside. But anyway, it's it, again it's it's creating that it's making the, the sport sterile. Do you know what I mean? You're taking away the human factor, yeah. which makes it so, you know, that it's our imperfections that make us unique and different and make each game special. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think, yeah, VAR is, is spoiling all of that. And it, it, you lose, you lose the romance of the game. I think technology is doing that. I agree because I've got a season ticket, you know, and when I go, James is texting me telling me what's going on because the fans don't know in the ground. Stupid. Yeah, no, it's it's mad. I don't know. I um, I I can see technology is killing a lot of things in the world today. Well, you know, people communicating like this, talking, chatting. Um, face-to-face like this technology is good but you know like with kids they're all texting each other and I don't yeah. know I just feel like yeah it's overtaking our lives yeah yeah 100% but um, what was I going to say then it's gone it's gone out your head it's it? gone out my head I was going to say something well James yeah. finishes that I know you were coach at the minute so have you got any ambitions to coach an A-League team or are you just happy where you are at the minute uh, I'm happy when I look. It's hard enough, uh, you know. For me, my priority is to provide for my family. You know, give my lad a, a really good education. Um, I'm fortunate enough that my in-laws work their socks off, so financially, you know, we're in a okay place. So I don't know to go on that coaching journey. It, it's hard. I think coaching's a lot harder than trying to make it as a player. It, it, there's so many limited opportunities in coaching, especially here in Australia. There's no money in it here, that's for sure. If if you want to have a career out of it, you've got to go to Europe. Um, so, look, to be honest, I'd, I'd, I'd do it as a charity, really. It's not, it's not for money or anything like that. It's more for the banter. More, for your love of the game. 
Yeah, love of the game, trying to give back. You know, some of these lads that are still there at the club, I won a championship with in 2013 in my last year at the club. The club hadn't won it in 27 years. That's why I kept playing because I was trying to win the club a championship. Yeah. Which they hadn't won in so long. So, um, yeah, it's it, I'm there really for to help the club and more for for the love of the game and you just you enjoy being in the dressing room and, and the banter and all of that. That's what what sort of sucks you back in, even though you think, oh, I could do with a bit more time to myself, you know? Yeah. I think Oldham fans will love that. They'll, they'll love hearing from you. They'll, um, you know, it's, it's been... It's been- Look, they, uh, they were so warm to me. I know that at times I prob- probably frustrated and drove them mad. I was either hot or cold, I remember, as a player. I was on fire or I was just stinking. But, um, you know what, they, they always were warm to me. And they knew that I always played with my heart on my sleeve. And that's probably what I'd like to be remembered as, someone who was just, you know, honest and tried their best, even though sometimes it wasn't good enough. Well, that's, uh, that's all Oldham fans, as I'm sure... Many other other clubs fans. That's all we want, you know. Just a yeah. player that will that will give everything he's got. You don't need yeah. to be. You don't need to be the best player in the world. But you know, if you someone who cares, I always say that. Even with my business, people go, "Oh, you know what? You know, you you you're brilliant." I say, "I just care. That's all." Yeah. When you care, you do the best you can. That's it. Yeah. Right. Well. Really, well, it was a pleasure talking to you, James. Yeah, and you really, really Thank appreciate you. that. Take it easy and good luck with the rest of the seat. I'll still be watching and fingers crossed for that first win. Brilliant. Yeah, cheers, Take lad. Care. Thanks. So, thanks very much for Les joining us on Zoom all the way from Adelaide on Monday evening. We really appreciate him joining us and uh, joining us again. Was listening to that interview. Is back from our non-league podcast and quizzes. John, how are you? Not so bad, thank you. Good stuff. Um, Modley have started their season. Have you been getting on then? Well, we're having a great time at the moment. Uh, unbeaten. Um, got to the second qualifying round of the FA Cup after beating uh, St. Helens Town uh, in the prim- prelim round. And then last Tuesday evening, we had a home game against uh, Ramsbottom United. Great crowd, and we've got a loud 400 on the terraces at Mosley now. We had a great crowd of 370 there last Tuesday night to make a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, great game of football because Ramers Bottom are a good side. Um, Mosley 1 0 up at half time through a goal from uh, Shenton, and then uh, in the second half, um, Ramers Bottom pressed and pressed and eventually equalised after about an hour. Uh, to bring the game to one all, uh, Mosley uh, also pressing, you know, for the winner. Uh, close shave really because Rams Bottom went forward, uh, hit the bar, and from the breakaway, um, Mosley scored the winning goal through Keaton Mulvey. And league form uh, played two one two beat Osset United two nil a week ago Saturday, and this Saturday just passed. Played Pickering at home, which was um, an entertaining game, really. Pickering uh, played quite well, uh, but Mosley just too strong for them. And uh, goals from uh, Matty Waller and uh, Declan Evans, too. And I'm trying to think who scored the other one. The other one was an on goal because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a 4 1 win, all looking good. This week, this Tuesday, Mosley at home to. Runcorn Linnets should have been a away game at Runcorn, but Runcorn are on restrictions and aren't allowed to uh, have uh, football matches. So it's rearranged for 7.45 tomorrow. And then this Saturday, it's the big one, the FA Cup uh, second qualifying round uh, when we're at home to uh, Tadcaster Albion, which should be another uh, good game and hopefully make some more money uh, on the FA Cup trail. So what is it? Three more wins and you're in the first round proper, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All looking good.
good stuff. And if people want to come then to Modley finally, is it ticket only? Is it turn up on the game? Um, is it? There is um, an online schedule um, process that you can go through later in the week. It is advisable to get your tickets. Uh, there's only a limit of 400 and apparently the online service is proving very popular. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us, John. So yes. thanks for John coming on and uh, thanks to Les again. Don't know about you, James, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, really enjoyable. Obviously, we'll be we'll be looking to get other ex Oldham players or even current. Uh, but for a fir- for a first one, um, you know, with a, with an ex ex pro ex Oldham player, that was that was very good, very enjoyable. Yeah, I thought he spoke really well, and he was really not just knowledgeable about football, but the stuff in general life. And he was just a proper nice town to earth lad. I think we should uh, maybe pop over to Adelaide and have a pint with him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously his passion for the game and his passion for Oldham as a club uh, really came across there I'm sure if uh, we, either of us or one of us goes to us again we'll like, pop to Adelaide because I've only been there to the airport sat on the plane where we had to sort of play and problem out but I'd love to go there and maybe pop along and see him but that's it for another episode of the Big Fat Sports Podcast a special edition with former Oldham and Australian under-20 international Les Puzzle Corny. So thanks for listening again, and we'll see you soon.